All right. Well, welcome again to H2O. We're glad that you're here. My name is Matt Party, one of the pastors here. And uh, we're starting a new series in the book of Philippians, which we're very excited about. If you want to grab a Bible and turn to chapter one there, you can. You know, here at H2O, you probably know if you've been around for any amount of time, we love planting churches. That's one of the things that we really hold near and dear uh, in the H2O network, planting churches. And a lot of times when we're doing that, we have all kinds of things we pray about and strategic ways to send out church plants, right? And a lot of times we're looking at cities and we think, oh, would this be a good place for a church plant? And we look at the city and what kind of dorm population they have at the colleges. And we kind of go through some things that we pray about and we pick a strategic place. This church that we're looking at here in the book of Philippians, okay, Paul is writing this letter to this Philippians church. This would not have been a strategic place to plant a church, okay? One of the main reasons that we're going to be talking about Philippians is this this joy that we were just singing about in the midst of trial. And this group of believers here in Philippi are worshiping the Lord and they're seeing other people come to know Jesus and they are being persecuted by the people around them. This city did not necessarily lend itself to that. In this overview of Philippians and the city of Philippi, let me explain a couple things. First, this was a Roman colony, all right? So under the Roman Empire, you were required to worship Caesar, not Jesus, not God, but Caesar was the Lord and Savior. And they worshipped Caesar. Anybody that opposed that was going to be persecuted. This is a really important city where these people were in Macedonia. And Paul's first church plant in Eastern Europe. So Paul sets out with his people. We're going to talk about this a little bit. But in the book of Acts, the Spirit tells them, we want you to come to Macedonia. He, he hears through the Spirit these people asking Paul to come to Macedonia to tell them about Jesus. So Paul gets this crew together and they travel across the sea over to Macedonia. They come to Philippi and people become believers in Jesus. So this is his first church plant over in Eastern uh, Europe. The guy that's actually carrying this letter is Epaphrodites, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. But he was a huge blessing to Paul. And he's visiting Paul back in Rome, and Paul gives him this letter to give to the Philippians. And this is all happening. Philippi is in present-day Greece. Matter of fact, it's up in northern Greece. It's just a little bit south of Bulgaria. If you love the uh, map kind of things and the geography, I have a map here. You can kind of check it out. So right up there in the middle, very top north, is Philippi. And that's where this little group of Jesus followers are. And Paul has sent this letter to Philippi, which again is a church that he planted. Now, this city was really famous for a lot of retired soldiers. A lot of the older, retired Roman soldiers were tough guys, patriotic guys, lived in this city. So when Paul first came to this city and started to preach the gospel, what the Holy Spirit drew him to do, do you know what happened on day one? of him sharing the gospel in this place is they got beat up. They got beat up really bad because of the things that they were saying. And he was thrown in jail on day one of being in Philippi. So you would think Paul would be writing this letter saying like, man, so glad to be out of that city. I can't stand that place of Philippi. That's a rough place to plant a church. No, Paul says, man, 
I love you people there. I care for you deeply. He has this warm affection, which you're going to hear in this book of Philippians, these four chapters. And we get a lot of this information about this church plant from Acts 16. Here's some names that kind of come up. If you uh, have some time, I'd love for you this week, as we're going into this series, it will help you greatly if you just read Acts 16 this week. Kind of put that away in your mind. And in Acts 16, Paul is going on this church plant, and he meets this young kid named Timothy. Now, you know Timothy is one of Paul's dear uh, friends. It's one of the pastors that he writes the book of First and Second Timothy to. And this young guy, Timothy, who he wants to take on this church plant, he's this young guy. And just to give you a little information of how awesome Timothy is, okay, some people said, hey, there's this young kid, Timothy. We see some serious potential in him. We think that you should bring him with you. And he tells Timothy, hey, we're going to this, this very Jewish place, and you grew up as a Greek, so you are not circumcised. I think you should get circumcised, okay, as this young man. And what's Timothy's answer? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. Whatever we need to do to move the gospel forward, even though I'm older and I'm a believer in Jesus and I don't need to be circumcised, I'm going to be circumcised so that we can move the gospel forward. So Paul and Timothy and this group of people in Acts 16 come to Philippi. They, as soon as they arrive, they go off for a prayer meeting. And they're all gathered praying, and they see this group of women there as they're praying. They go over and share Jesus with them, and the first convert in Philippi is this amazing woman named Lydia. She comes to know Jesus. She invites them into their home. She's like a person of peace in this city, this really key woman. And so Lydia is there. Uh, they're sharing the gospel. This slave girl that's listening, she can tell fortunes. Okay, there's this evil spirit in her helping her tell fortunes and tell the future. And Paul interacts with her. And the people that own this slave girl fortune teller make money off of her. And Paul gets this demon out of her, gets this spirit out of her, and she becomes a Christian. And because they're not making money on her anymore, they get really ticked off. They beat him up. They beat up the guys. They throw him in jail. And in these Roman prisons is not a pleasant place to be. It's nothing like our present-day prisons. So they're on day one of a church plant, and they're in prison. And in Acts 16, it says they are in shackles. All right? This is an amazing leap of faith for this church plant team. Not a strategic place to go. And how does Paul respond in Acts 16? Him and these other guys, they're worshiping the Lord in prison. And this another amazing, miraculous thing happens, and even the jailer sees their faith and says, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. And this guy's baptized, and now they got this crazy group of this, this Lydia, these other people that have come. They have this slave girl that's now been freed, and they have this jailer, and they got their launch team, and the church starts to grow in the midst of all these older patriotic soldiers so the dilemma for them is this roman patriotism as i just met i'm just kind of laying the groundwork of this city so you kind of understand the audience of what is happening so this dilemma is this roman patriotism imagine these very devout people that just love their country they've probably served their country for decades in the military some generals some really strong tough guys 
And they have lived their life, laying down their life, fighting to expand Caesar's kingdom. And as I mentioned, they're supposed to be worshiping Caesar. Caesar's their Lord. Caesar is their God. And here comes this, this you know, little bunch of people saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And we are not going to worship Caesar. We are going to worship God. Jesus is our Lord. Can you imagine the anger? Can you imagine what kind of opposition they got? And after Paul and his team were freed and they move on to plant other churches in the city, this little group of churches and this little group of people in this new church are being persecuted. And Paul is writing this letter to this dear church that he loves. So here's the big idea for this morning as I just set all that up. Living like a servant, as Jesus did, gives us an invincible joy. And that's the, the name of this series, Invincible Joy. That no matter what hardship is coming, no matter what trials are coming, no matter what storms are coming, we can have an invincible joy. Not because things are easy, but because Jesus is our Lord. And He loves us. And he has a goal and a plan for our lives. And this is what he did in his life. Jesus laid down his life for us. And therefore, we can lay down our lives for him and for others. So we're only going to get into chapter 1. So let's jump in today. And we're going to start right in chapter 1, verse 1. Let me pray for us as we dive into this book. Lord, we are so grateful to be gathered here today to worship and to be reminded of these important spiritual truths, Lord, that the, the world is not just all we can see, but this unseen world and this, this supernatural kingdom, Lord, that we are a part of and that we are laying our lives down for. Lord, use your word to open up our eyes and speak to each one of us, Lord, as we gather here today. Lord, we love you and we want to understand you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read through the first 11 verses, and then we'll go back and elaborate on a few of the verses. So in verse 1, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we go back to verse 1, he begins this and says, to all God's holy people 
in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That's the audience of this letter, together with the overseers and deacons. So as I've mentioned, here's this group of believers. He's appointed some overseers. That word that we use, uh, overseer, pastor, elder, they're pretty much interchangeably used in the New Testament. And so here it's really talking about the leaders of the church, the pastors and deacons. But he addresses them as holy people. Now, that's a really interesting word in, in, in this word holy. In the Greek, it's called hagios. And hagios, this word, is in the New Testament over 200 times. Over 60 of the times that this word holy is used, it is translated as the saints. Maybe in the Bible that you're looking at, or depending on what version you're looking at right now, he says, to all the saints in Philippi. Now, for many of us, that might be a strange thing. Wait, who are these saints? We kind of, in some traditions, think of these people that have died and that were really great Christians. They get the title of saints. But in the New Testament, over 60 times, it really refers to the believers as saints, which really means we have been made holy. We have been made blameless. Now, that's a strange word that most of us in America here, we probably don't think about ourselves that much. We don't drive to work thinking like, man, it's great to be a saint today. You know, it's great to be a holy person today. But the Bible tells us that that would do us well to think of ourselves in that way. You, through Jesus Christ, have been made holy and blameless. When the blood of Christ has covered your sins, God looks at you as a holy person. As if you've never done anything wrong. That's the amazing truth about the gospel. Do we deserve that title? Absolutely not. Are we broken and we, we hurting and we've done things wrong? Absolutely. That's what we all have in common. But the Bible says that Jesus came and died for our sins to make us righteous. To make us blameless. And really, according to this word hagios, to make us holy, which is translated into a saint. Now again, how do we deserve that word? Again, it's all about Christ. In Hebrews 10.10, it reminds us of this truth again. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. What an amazing, encouraging truth for us today. Regardless of your past, it was the will of God to make you holy. And how did he do that? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. That one act of sacrifice by Jesus 2,000 years ago, when we apply that to our count, we are now made holy. We're made righteous because he took the death penalty for us. He took all that sin upon him so that we could be holy. Wow, what an amazing gift. And that is why, as we go on to the next verse in Philippians 1-2, how does this happen? That's where this word grace comes from. Paul says to the Philippians, grace on you, peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are only made holy. This is why we're here to worship. Not because we're good people and we're trying to achieve something or, or work out something so that God will be pleased. We are here to worship Him and be excited and sing and fellowship because we have experienced grace. The undeserved merit of this gift 
of righteousness that we didn't deserve. And he's reminding the people, man, grace upon you, grace and peace in your hearts because of what Jesus has done for us. And that should just well up in us this worship. That's what wells up in us this thankfulness that even though we fall so short, he's given us this incredible gift. And now we move into this section of thankfulness. We're going to read on in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul says to them, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from a different jail. Paul is in jail writing this letter. And what are these words that he uses? I am thankful for you. I'm really happy right now just thinking about you. God has given me this thankfulness and God has given me this joy. Even though these circumstances stink of being in jail right now, I'm happy when I think about you because you have partnered with me in the gospel from the first day until now. Referring back to that, that first day in Acts 16. This partnership that Paul talks about is really a precious thing. Because just to give you a little bit more background, when Paul is traveling to these different cities, planting churches, he's being persecuted, oftentimes being beaten. He could you know, often feel like, man, is anybody really caring for me? And he says at times he had plenty and other times he didn't have very much. And he says to the Philippians in a different part of the Bible, you know, when everybody else forgot about me, you brought me a gift. What the Philippians done, did, because they were so passionate about what Paul was doing and they loved him so much, they sent Epaphrodites with this gift to give him resources, to encourage him, to pray for him, to give him food and money and things like that to continue the gospel mission. And this partnership word that he uses here, he's saying, you know, we really do have a partnership. I was laying down my life for you to come and share Jesus with you, and now you're sacrificing for me. And the fact that we're doing this together to advance the gospel gives me great joy when I think of you, even though I'm in prison. Thank you for taking care of my needs. And I just imagine Paul welling up with this joy because he's giving thanks. And you know, when we think about this, this spiritual discipline of giving thanks to God, it's something so challenging to me. I hope it's challenging to you that we are invited in to be giving thanks to God no matter what's going on in your life. So as we draw to mind right now like the difficult trials that we're going through, would we say that we're really surrounding that with thankfulness? That is such a, a huge trial for me. That is such a difficulty for me. And that really spoke to me this morning when Chris was just sharing about that song. I felt like God just ministered to me through his words as we were singing that song because in those words it said, in the middle of the storm, I'm going to sing this hallelujah, hallelujah to you. In the middle of the storm, I'm going to sing. I'm going to just find something in the middle of my storm to give thanks about. 
That spiritual discipline is so important in our lives because we can get so caught up in the storm. We get so concerned with the trials that we're going through and we're complaining and we feel really terrible on side and we're feeling we're like we just want to pity ourselves. And we get our eyes on ourselves, we get our eyes on our storm, and we are just not aware of what God is doing. In this spiritual dis- discipline that we're called to do, we're commanded to do, says we get away, we go for that prayer walk, and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this. Thank you for the clothes on my back. Thank you for a place to live. Thank you. And we just start welling up with thankfulness, and God begins to change us. He gives us eyes to see maybe why we're going through the trials. And we give thanks. You know, as Paul was giving thanks from prison, it reminded me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a a Christian hero. He's written so many beautiful things. He lived during World War II, and he opposed Hitler. He was so vocal against the Nazi party that they threw him into a concentration camp. And he was so in love with God, and he was so bold in his faith that he would oppose these things and his life was always being threatened. And he talks about this thankfulness in the middle of this terrible tragedy in a concentration camp. And he wrote many books and the, and the jailers that he won to Jesus would even um, smuggle these letters out of the, of the prison that he was in. And he says this, we pray for the big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary the small, yet really not small, gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? And this verse, or this, this quote here, really speaks to our hearts about being thankful people, being thankful for the small things, being thankful for everything that he's given us so that he can give us more. And when we're always asking for more and we're living a really discontent life, but we're not even aware or thankful of the things he's already blessed us with, we are not in a place where God wants us to be. You know, I remember this, this spiritual discipline of, of giving thanks. And years ago when we were in Columbus, my wife and I ministering at the church at Ohio State, um, we had this thing in our church, this kind of these membership classes, 101, 201, 301, and 401. And we were teaching this one class, and there was a group of like 30 people, and we were talking about the spiritual disciplines, and we got to giving thanks. And I remember this one class very clearly that we decided to just go through the rows and say one thing that people were thankful about. And as each person shared, you could just kind of feel this enthusiasm and this excitement and this glory to God for all the things that we were thankful for. And I remember we got to this one girl. Her name was Jen. And she said, she just paused for this long time, and I said, hey, is there anything? And she said, she just looked so downcast, and she said, I can't think of one thing to be thankful for. And man, I just felt so sad for her. It was a really awkward experience, and she could not think of one thing to be thankful for. And we just moved on and finished and and moved on to the rest of the, the curriculum. And I found out after the class, I asked someone about that, and they said, her fiancé, not her boyfriend, her fiancé had just broken up with her that week. Now that's a big trial. That's a really hard, significant thing to go through. 
And of course, all of us would feel compassion toward that. There's, there's empathy that needs to be there. Wow, that is a really difficult trial to go through. And I believe that all of us will go through storms like that. But even in the midst of a fiancé dumping you or some kind of financial trial or something that you feel so hopeless about or your health or things with your family or relationships or whatever trial comes to your mind, God still wants you to dig deep and find a thankful heart. It doesn't mean we feel better. It doesn't mean that we can't be sad. But we move on and we try to be thankful because of what he's doing in the future. Moving on to these victories that he has for us. Which is what the next verse says in Philippians 1.6. Why is Paul so thankful? He says, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What a hopeful verse. You and I can be confident in what? That when we're going through the storms and we're going through the trials, that God actually has a purpose for that and He's doing some work in us that He's not finished with and we can be confident in that, that He began this good work in you. He's changing you. He's loving you. He's encouraging you. He's pruning us. He's helping us. And as He he began that work, He's going to finish it in us. And that usually includes some trials that usually incur you know incurs just some some struggle that we have to go through and so we can give thanks and experience joy not because we've we've reached the end but because the goal and the promise that's out there that is why you and i can be thankful why we can serve him why we can love him and we can find joy because he's promised us something at the end I've been meditating on this verse a lot, James 1, 2 through 4, because my wife and I have been going through some difficult trials. And I, like you, can often say, I hate this trial that I'm in. I don't like this. And as soon as this is over, I will have joy, okay? God, as soon as you answer this prayer, then I'll feel better again and I will worship you. I, like you, can be in that place. And that is not where God wants us to be. He reminds me of this verse. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. God is doing something in us. He's doing something in you. He's got something good for you in the end. He's pruning you so that you might worship Him more, glorify Him more, or maybe even relate to some other people that you can bring comfort to. And to embrace that He's changing us and working on us is something very difficult, but that we can do through the Holy Spirit. Knowing His plan is comforting. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher and theologian, says this, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. How are you going to sleep well at night? How are you going to have peace in the midst of this? Not with the storm ending, but with the sovereignty of God. Knowing that God is in control. 
You and I cannot change the storm. We can't control the weather, right? We need to stop trying to control our environment. The only thing we can, tr- can control is to embrace his sovereignty, to trust him, to sing in the middle of it. And that's what he's telling these Philippian people. You are going through some serious trials right now. Many of you have your lives at stake. Who wants to get beat up? Who wants to be under physical assault for the gospel? But he's saying, you can do this because of God's sovereignty. We move on to verses 7 and 8. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. We're doing this together, he's saying. God can testify testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's not in their presence at this moment when he's writing this letter. So he says this from afar. And this is the last section. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is saying, I'm praying this for you that you would, your love would abound and that you'd be so close with God that you'll be able to discern all this stuff that's going on in your life and you'll be able to view it and judge it properly. You'll have wisdom of why these things are happening. That's his hope and that's his prayer for him. He's got this amazing affection for this church and he says, man, you're doing a great job, but I want you to do something. I want you to love even more. I want you to lay down your life for each other and for God even more. Wow, that's a bold request from a little church that's struggling. And you know, this verse just encouraged me so much was as I was preparing this teaching and I was just thinking about this church and I was so encouraged and thankful thinking about all of you and how God is blessing us right now. I don't know how much you're aware of that, but as I just think about this church and all that God's been doing over the decades, I'm just like welled up with thankfulness. And one of the first things I did was just I thanked God for Brian and Sarah Wiles that are leading this church and have led this church so faithfully for so long. I don't know. I know Brian and Sarah would hate for me to say this, but they just serve and love so sacrificially. He's like one of the most generous people I know, and Sarah's so hospitable with their house, and they carry so many things. They, they carry a weight that none of you would be able to comprehend. And they're just so sacrificial, and I appreciate them so much. I felt like we should give them a hand. They're probably not even in this room right now, but I felt like we should just thank them and give them a hand. You know, Brian's just such a light to our city. He's the chaplain for the police. He's the chaplain for the football team, and he's just constantly thinking of ways to bless our campus and our city. The other thought I had was just about our amazing staff team. We have an incredible staff team. They serve so much. They go out there and just great amounts of faith to raise money for, them, for their own salaries so that they can serve. And I know that they would hate for me to even say this to all of you, but I think it's important to thank them and to be in, in, you know, encouraged by them. Many of them are underfunded. 
Many of them work many more hours than what they are paid. And because of the funds not coming in, they, uh, they sacrifice, they serve, and they lay down their lives for our church. And it's an amazing blessing to, to walk with them. It's a, it's a privilege to be uh, joined up in partnership with them. You know, um, we're going to talk about this more October uh, 27th in our Sunday meeting. But just half of the tithe, this is a crazy thought I thought I'd throw out. Almost half of our tithe from our whole H2O church is from our staff alone. When I saw that number, that really blew me away. Of I know they're underfunded. I know they work more hours than they actually get paid for. And yet they give so generously. And on that moment of giving, I want to keep going with just, I'm so thankful for all of our volunteers. You know, to have a really healthy church, you need to get a lot of volunteers that are just doing so much. And I look at H2O Church and even coming back a year or two ago from H2O Toledo, I'm just blown away by the volunteer hours. Every one of you, thank you for the volunteer hours. There's so much, the, the fit team and the music and the, the media and the, the production teams. There's people over uh, on campus right now setting up our mobile thing to, to serve the campus. All these different areas, H2O Kids, so many volunteer hours, so much leadership in the life groups. We really appreciate you. I'm going to keep going. Our city people, thank you. For 35 years, we really didn't have any city people in this church helping us. And in these last couple years, all of you city people that have come to, to be with a bunch of crazy young college kids and sit here and worship with us, it means so much to bring your children here, to give financially. It has been a huge boost to us. And, and we know there's other great churches in this town, and we support them, and we love them. But thank you for all you city people and your service, your volunteer hours, opening up your houses to us in the city groups. Um, it's, it's really humbling. We appreciate you. And, and lastly, our students. It, is, it blows me away. And I get to preach at a lot of different churches and talk about our H2O network. And they say, how in the world do you do this? And I said, we have amazing students. We have crazy students that love Jesus. And they say, I'm not going to wait till I'm older to, to serve Jesus. I want to do it now. And you're in the word and you're praying and you're trusting God to use you. And we thank you. College students can be doing a lot of other things with their four years here at a university and you're here in partnership with us, and we love and appreciate you. You know we have the well for the students every semester to introduce new students, and this year's well has 70 students signed up, mostly all freshmen. 70 students that said, I want to serve Jesus with you. What an amazing thing. And we, we say all that, and if I've missed anybody, I thank you too. And when I, when I close this out, what I want to say is Paul was saying, not only thank you, thank God. Thank you, God, for living inside of us and producing this kind of community. He's doing something special. And Paul said, you're doing great. Okay, I just thanked a whole bunch of people, and we all feel really great, hopefully about ourselves. And then what's Paul say? Love more. Love even more. Find ways in your quiet time to say, God, how can I love you even more? How can I love the people around me more? We have not finished a, a marathon and we're at the finish line, 
We're not a perfect church by any means. There are so many needs still. And, and Paul says, let your love overflow to continue to bless the people around you in our city and our campus. So let's pray for that right now. God, let our hearts overflow with the incredible love that you have showered upon us. And God, when I think about the things that we go through and I think of your example um, of, of on the cross, what a humble servant you were. Coming from heaven, living as a man, the incarnation here in the flesh and said, even though I'm a king, I'm going to die on a cross for you. That, Lord, that, that sacrifice fuels us. If you've loved me that much and you've sacrificed that much for me, I want to give you my life. And I want to serve and love in an overflowing manner. God, as a congregation, we come before you and we say, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that the circumstances and the trials and the storms of our life right now they don't define us. We're living for something higher. We're living for something beyond that. So open up our eyes. Change us. Help us to see as you see things. And open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to what you're doing, that we might give thanks and we might cooperate with you in partnership in the gospel. Lord, we can only do this through your spirit. Help us in Jesus' name, amen.